You can have a seat. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here, and I'm thrilled to be here, and I am not Michael Crocker. Some of you may have thought that Michael shaved his mustache, got 10 years older and better looking, but that's not the case. Uh, Michael is out. Michael and I are in the, uh, the eternal ordination process of the United Methodist Church together, and that means that hopefully someday before we retire, we will be ordained elder together, uh, and we have become good friends, and as Daryl has mentioned, uh, Michael's going to preach for me in a few weeks. Uh, I'll lead a Saturday night service over in Bernie, and uh, so, so Michael's coming, and Daryl is coming to play, and so... When Michael asked me if I would like to come to New Heights, I said, yes, I would love to be here. So I'm thrilled to be here. Let me ask you something as we uh, begin our journey this morning is how many of you have ever been afraid of the dark? Even as a child or, you know, some of us may not admit in our 40s we're still afraid of the dark, but many of us as children were afraid. And what the reason we're afraid in the dark, perhaps, is that we can't see what's really going on. I remember as a child, um, and I think I was even a little older, like almost junior high, but that's kind of embarrassing. But, but I was uh, in bed one night, and I started hearing some scratching noises on my window. That's pretty freaky, isn't it? I mean, when you hear those noises, and it really scared me. And so much so, I didn't want to breathe or want to move. You remember that? When you heard a noise or you just wanted to disappear... So if someone was coming in through the window, they wouldn't know that I was there. And so I'm very still, and I'm not moving. And then I look toward the foot of the bed, and I see something. And I'm looking at it very intently, and and in my imagination, it became something it never was. But I'm thinking it's some sort of animal, some sort of, I don't know, like a rabid badger or something. I'm not sure what I was thinking, but I'm thinking, I'm going to die. And then I continue to hear the scratching noise on the screen of my window, And the wind was blowing. It was just kind of spooky, you know what I'm saying? And I was afraid. And I finally mustered up enough custard. Mustered up enough custard. Hang on, back up. I mustered up enough courage. English language is challenging for me. To finally go over and turn on the light. But I think it was one of those, I just dove at the light switch, you know, and flipped it up. And then I saw that um, there was like a pile of dirty clothes at the foot of my bed that I thought was this rabid badger. And then I went and woke up my dad. My dad's here uh, with me today. And dad, I went and got him out of bed. This is like three in the morning. And he's like, what do you want? And so I'm telling him there's this awful scratching noise. And, and sure enough, I, you know, it's kind of like getting your car fixed and you, have the, you hear that noise and you take it to the mechanic and it doesn't make the noise. Well, I was afraid that would happen. But when I brought dad in... Sure enough, he started to hear the scratching noise, and he was braver than I would. I was. He opened the curtain and actually looked outside, and what he found, he couldn't see it then, but there was a, this is kind of, really kind of gross, but there was a, uh, some rats that had built a nest in the bushes outside of my window, and so what I heard was rats scratching, isn't that kind of creepy? And that, that really kind of, you know, I was afraid. But once I figured out what it was, and the light was turned on, and I figured out that the pile of clothes really wasn't a rabid badger, and the, the, you know, the scratching on the window really wasn't you know, uh, Jason or Freddy Krueger or something, and, and I figured out what it was, I wasn't as scared. Now, I guess I've passed this on to my own son. He's uh, 15. He's here with us today. But he's the same way. He's afraid of the dark, and he gets afraid. Not so much anymore, but when he was a little bitty guy... In my first church, uh, he was like, I think, in kindergarten when I began uh, serving a very, very small church in West Texas by vocationally. I worked for a power company, 
and I started moonlighting and preaching. And, um, and, and one night, my wife was in school. She was in the bedroom studying, and I'm writing a sermon at the computer, and Michael's in there watching Scooby-Doo. And you know Scooby-Doo is kind of scary. Right, let's admit it, right? That's kind of scary. And they always have the, you know, the scary music going on during Scooby-Doo, and you know, there's always hunting some sort of ghost or what appears to be a ghost. And so I'm in there working on a sermon, and Donna's in the bedroom, has the door shut, and, um, and I can hear the music, and it's dark in there. He doesn't have any lights on. And every once in a while, I would hear these footsteps. Dad! And his eyes would be this big around. I said, what? And he said, I love you. I love you too. And then he'd run back. And this happened like every five minutes for a half an hour. And at first I thought, man, he really does think I'm pretty cool. You know, he really loves me. But then I figured out that he was actually afraid. And he just wanted to make sure that I was, you know, close by. And so finally I went in and turned the light on. And I think he was a little bit better. And then I think Barney came on. And that was a little, you know, happier topic than Scooby-Doo. But I think some of us can understand darkness is the absence of light. And we can be afraid sometimes when we don't know what that reality really is out there. I want to talk this morning about uh, Jesus in the Gospel of John in chapter 8. He, uh, he appears to those in the temple courtyard. And he says this, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. This was a very profound statement that he made. And let me give you the, the backdrop, the context in which he said this. At this time in Jerusalem was the Feast of Tabernacles. And what this was, was one of the three major feasts where pilgrim, pilgrims would come and make these journeys to Jerusalem to celebrate. And what they were celebrating was God's presence when the children of Israel were in the wilderness for some 40 years. Remember this story? How when they came out of Egypt, that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And what they celebrated was God's provision for them. And God literally showed them His presence with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. And they would follow God. And God would lead them and direct them. And they could look at the cloud and look at the fire and they would know that God was with them. And so during the Feast of Tabernacles, they celebrated God's presence and how God had cared for their ancestors. But picture this, if you will, in the temple courtyard, there are two huge pillars that have a, a huge fire going. And you could see that fire from miles around. And so in the backdrop of, these, of this light that can be seen from miles, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. And this was very profound that he said this in a, a couple of ways. The first is this. By, using the, the, uh, by making the statement of I am, he was declaring to be God. Let me, under, let me explain what that means. Back, rewind back to Moses. Remember Moses? Okay, he's the, uh, the sheep herder who God called to go and, and uh, deliver the Israelites from slavery. Well, God appears to Moses in a burning bush. Remember this story? And, and he tells him, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Now, Moses wasn't really willing at first, was he? He was like, God, I think you have the wrong guy. I stutter. I'm really not. I'm kind of an introvert. I really think that I'm a, I'm a sheep herder, okay? Can't you find someone else? And so God is persistent, and, he, and Moses finally gets the message that he is indeed called. 
And so Moses is thinking, okay, I'm going to go to Egypt and I'm going to go to the Pharaoh who's like the, the biggest ruler that he has ever known. And a sheep herder is going to walk in and say, okay, Mr. Pharaoh, um, let these people go. And he's saying, who will I say sent me? And listen to what God says in Exodus uh, 3. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so when Jesus would say, I am the light of the world, what the Jewish people would hear is here this human is declaring to be God. How do you think they, um, they reacted to that? Not well, okay? They, uh, they saw that as blasphemy. Here you have a person. And some of them knew that he was a carpenter from Nazareth. And here he's claiming to be God. And he says, I am the light of the world. And in the Gospel of John, this phrase, I am, is found 54 times in 21 chapters. And so very clearly the, the writer of the Gospel of John and Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. In other words, I am God. And that's the, the Gospel message and the Gospel of John makes very explicit is that God stepped out of the glory of heaven and stepped into human history. Isn't that amazing? That our God wanted to be like us, wanted to identify with us, and so God left the glory of heaven and stepped into human history and walked the dusty roads of Palestine and revealed His power and His presence. And He says to all, I am the light of the world. And then we go into chapter 9 in John in this healing miracle that I'd like to talk about today. And He comes to a man born blind. Well, let me show you this clip from the Gospel of John. You can kind of watch what took place. He saw a man who had been born blind. Teacher, whose sin caused him to be born blind? Was it his own or his parents' sin? His blindness has nothing to do with his sins or his parents' sins. He is blind so that God's power might be seen at work in him. As long as it is they... We must keep on doing the work of him who sent me. Night is coming. And no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light for the world. said this, Jesus spat on the ground and made some mud with the spittle. He rubbed the mud on the man's eyes.
Go and wash your face in the pool of Siloam. This name means scent. So the man went, washed his face, and came back, singing. His neighbors then, and the people who had seen him begging before this, asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? He is the one. No, he isn't. He just looks like him. I am the man. How is it that you can now see? The man called Jesus made some mud, rubbed it on my eyes, and told me to go to Siloam and wash my face. So I went. And as soon as I washed... I could see. Where is he? I don't know. Amazing story. Right after Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He demonstrates that by giving this man physical sight. And as the story unfolds, the man understands who it is who gave him his sight. And he not only can see physically, but he can see spiritually. And he understands indeed that this Jesus is the light of the world. And if we follow Him, we will not walk in darkness at all, and it will lead to life, and life eternal. So as we gather here today, it is our conviction that Jesus is indeed the light of the world. But what does that mean for us? What does that really mean for where you live, where the rubber hits the road, if you have the conviction that Jesus is the light of the world, what does it mean? First of all, I'd like to, uh, to lift up this particular truth. I believe it means that you look at life through the eyes of faith. Many of you probably have been touched by an encounter with the living Lord. Many of your lives have been changed as you have come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we receive sight and we can really see. And we are called to believe in Him. That word believe is found all throughout the Gospel of John. In one particular passage you may have heard of before, it's in chapter 3 of John in verse 16. Have you heard of this one before? Did you learn it in Sunday school? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And so this word believe is found all throughout the Gospel and we are called to believe. But you see, it's more than just... uh, an intellectual ascent to an understanding, it has to kind of make that 12 to 18 inches down to our hearts until it changes our lives, until we are transformed and we can truly see. Several years ago, I went to prison. Actually, it was just for a weekend. 
but uh, it's for a Kairos prison ministry. And a guy invited me to be a part of this ministry, and I really wasn't sure about going to prison. I mean, that really wasn't my dream in life, just to go to a prison. So I did it just because he asked me to go. And I've got to tell you, I was afraid. When you pass that sign in the prison that says, no hostages past this point, kind of gives you the creeps, you know. I'm thinking of that, what, occurred, what happened for them to put that sign up, you know. There's a reason that sign. It's kind of like the, uh, the little warning on the back of your sun visor that says, don't have this in place while you're operating the vehicle. You know somebody did that or they wouldn't have that sign up there. And so we go to the prison and during this weekend, these guys that maybe have really not understood what it means to love, and especially God's love. God's love is lavished upon them, and they are loved unconditionally. They are told about the gospel of Christ. And let me tell you, God shows up. And amazing things happen because these guys' lives are changed. And so I've gone back and done this four or five times now. And next month I'm going over to, to Hondo, to the Torres unit for a weekend. And I keep going back because God shows up. And these guys... Their lives are transformed. And you can literally see their eyes. When they come in on Thursday, there's almost like this deadness in their eyes. It's hard to describe. But it's like the, the lights are on but nobody's home kind of idea. But some during the weekend as they encounter Christ and understand that love that is offered to them, there is a transformation. And you can see it in their eyes and in their face. And by Sunday, you have these guys... There is some artwork in the prison. I'm telling you, these guys have some tats all over them, okay? And these guys are praising God, smiles on their faces, tears running down their faces. And they have been touched because their lives have been changed and they can see with the eyes of faith. Secondly, I believe that as we proclaim Jesus to be the light of the world, it means that, it means that we realize God's presence illuminating our life. That we see God's presence in our lives just as the Israelites could physically see God in the pillar of fire at night, in the cloud during the day. We begin to see God at work in our lives as well. Have you ever been to a place that was absolutely dark, like a cavern or something? A few years back we went to the Inner Space Cavern. It's up 35 toward Austin. And we got to the very bottom, and it did something really not good. They turned all the lights off. And it was completely dark. So dark you couldn't even see the hand in front of your face. And so that's really what darkness is. It's the total absence of light. And, and we live in a dark world today. Would you agree? If you don't believe me, go home and turn the news on. This morning I turned the news on, I think it was on Ken's 5, about a doctor who was shot, a young woman was murdered. And every day in San Antonio as we watch the news, we see that there is darkness all around us. But we carry the truth. We have experienced that truth that Jesus is indeed the light of the world and He brings light into our lives as we live our lives of faith. Thirdly, as we call Jesus the light of the world... It means that we follow Jesus and accept His direction in our lives. That we literally follow Him. We understand Him to lead, guide, and direct us in our... It's always good when you get your notes mixed up here, isn't it? Okay, here we go. You know, life is complicated. Life is not simple. And so we try to make the best decisions that we can. And sometimes it's hard to see where we are going. Sometimes it's hard to see the direction that God 
has in our lives. But when we come into faith, when we understand God in Jesus to be the light of the world, we understand who Jesus is, but maybe even more significantly, we figure out who we are. It's in our faith in Christ that we understand our own purpose. We understand where we are headed as we understand ourselves to be children of the living God. And that's a good feeling that the God who knows us best, He knows everything about us. He's also the God who loves us most. Have you seen this television show that's on, I think it's on Fox, that's called The Moment of Truth? It's really kind of smutty, but anyway. But the idea is that people will get up in front of their family, in front of the you know, national TV, and certain truths about them are exposed. And I can't even mention some of them because it's really kind of inappropriate. But one of them, I was watching, I tried to watch it once, and I couldn't even complete the whole program because there's just too much. But this woman's mother is sitting right there, and they ask her, do you think you're a better mother than your mother is? And that's one of the easy questions. And as the the uh, contestant moves forward, the questions become harder and harder, and some of the darkest, deepest secrets of their lives are brought forward. And so you and I, we don't really want everyone to know everything about us, do we? We don't want everyone to know how we think or, or maybe things in our past, but God knows us best. He knows He can count every hair on our head. Now, some people, it doesn't take as as many as others. But still, God knows us so intimately, but He loves us nevertheless. And as we come into relationship and we keep our eyes focused on Him, He shows us the way to go. And as we trust in Him, we don't know what the future may hold, but we believe in Him. And we say, God, whatever the future holds, it's in Your hands, and I'm going to follow You. And we trust in Him. And we follow him and he leads us. You know, we're going to elect a president in a couple of uh, months. If you hadn't heard about this, um, you've kind of probably seen on television. And so we'll try to, to elect the, the leader we think is most appropriate. And we could probably argue about who that might be, right? But nevertheless, our nation will elect a leader. And it may not be the person you voted for, but they're still the leader nonetheless. And even if you place your complete trust in this particular leader... They're going to let you down from time to time. Because when we follow earthly leaders, they're flawed just like we are. They're human just like we are. They have brokenness just like we are. And they're going to let us down from time to time. But as we follow this leader, as we declare Jesus to be the light of the world, we know that He will never let us down. Robert Lewis Stevenson was an author from a previous century, and he was a man who uh, understood what it means to, uh, to not be whole and to be broken. He spent a lot of his life in bed, and he would look out his window to watch what was going on around the world because he himself could not get out of bed and out of his house. And he described seeing the lamplighter come in one night. Now, this is the days before electric street lamps. And there would be a, a person called a lamplighter that would go along and light the lanterns in the community to, to provide light during the night. And as Stevenson watched this lamplighter light one lamp after the other, he described it as punching holes in the darkness. My proclamation to you today and my conviction is that Jesus Christ punches the holes in our darkness as we understand Him to be the light of the world. And that was His mission, was to punch holes 
in the darkness and he proclaimed to the world, I am the light of the world. What about you? What do you say about Jesus? Does he provide light in your life? Is he the one that provides direction? Is he the one in whom you find your identity? Around the table of the Lord, we understand. No, don't try this at home. I'm a trained professional. We understand at the table of the Lord that Jesus is indeed with us. Because you see, in our proclamation, we remember that Jesus lived among us. We remember that, that He taught, that He healed, He ate with sinners. But we also remember the events around the cross. That on the night that He gave Himself up for us, He took a loaf of bread and He blessed it and He broke it. He gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. After they had eaten likewise, He took the cup and again He gave thanks. He gave it to His disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant in My blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. And it's our prayer this day that God's Spirit would come down upon us in this community of faith and on these elements of bread and wine that they would be for us the body and blood of Christ. And that as we come to this table, we remember what Christ has done for us. But in the mystery of this sacrament, we proclaim that Christ is here. And so as you take that bread and you take the cup, we understand that Christ is with us walking with us because we live in dark times. We go through dark periods of our lives, but we can do it with confidence because Christ walks along with us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we're thankful for, for your great love for us. We're thankful, God, that you loved us enough to step into human history in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we come to this table, God, we know that you have called us to show Your love for us. God, we're thankful that You're with us and, and we proclaim and we celebrate that You are with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.